Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I will be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. And correction. Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin. For the second time this week, we're really pumping them out this week. I know. Well, we got it, you know. Yeah, we're working hard. <laughs> it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today, except I'm kind of losing my voice a little bit. I have been yapping a lot. Yeah, yeah. Caitlin, it's Pride Month, and we have very special news. I'm doing a little partnership with Polaroid, which I'd love to talk about because you know I love talking about Polaroid. I know. This is a big deal to you. It's a really big deal. And we were already swamped with so many things, but then we found out about Polaroid and you were like, I know we're busy, but this is my dream partnership. We have to do it. So now we're doing it. It's no (laughs) understatement at all. Yeah. So what they're asking me to do is to document queer life in New York as everything opens up after the pandemic. So I'm taking portraits of LGBTQIA plus people from all walks of life and sort of the places and the foods and the moments that make queer New York. And I think it's it's a real, it's been a real blast. Yeah, and it's been fun to go to all the reopenings. Went to the reopening of Barracuda, mm-hmm. the reopening of 54 Below. Yeah. Um, we've been going to all the gay bars and everything to see their reopenings. It's fun to see everyone so excited and also weird to be like, oh my God, I haven't been in this space like this where everyone's close together with no mask and anything in like so long. Yeah. My sister friend Foster um, is here in town with us right now and she hadn't been in a bar until she was in a bar at Industry for my show uh, on Monday. So that is a pretty big transition. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are going through that right now. It's like now. going right into the deep end. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> d- diving aloud. You know what I mean? Yep. Just, yeah, the most. So I don't know. It's been, 
I think for everybody, no matter what you do, it's been really exhilarating to start all over again, but it's also really overwhelming. And yeah. I think that that's why I'm so interested in this moment because taking pictures of people shows that story of people being like excited and scared and yeah, like kind of figuring out where everyone's social anxiety is at and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I want to dive right into our serious, groundbreaking interview, and we, as usual, love our guest today. <laughs> a lot of our friends are obsessed with this person. Yeah. But first, I have a little treat for you, Caitlin. This okay. is a real good treat for you. <laughs> I think I might know what it is. Yeah. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about saving critters, okay? <laughs> now, a lot of our good news has been pretty serious lately, all about social progress and the people that make it happen. So today's news is a little bit on the lighter side. It's all about a little raccoon that got himself into big trouble and the people that helped him escape. If you guys know me, I love raccoons. I don't get out. Anyone can think anything negative about them. I know they're dirty and have rabies and go through their trash. But look at their little burglar mask faces. How can you not love raccoons? <laughs> and you have raccoon salt shakers and oh, pepper yes, shakers I do. and all kinds of stuff. I just love them. I think they're so cute. So, according to the Good News Network, Macomb County Animal Control had no idea what to do when they encountered a bizarre problem. They found a raccoon with its head stuck in a sewer cover. That's right. Somehow a little raccoon had found a tiny hole in a sewer cover, poked his head through, and gotten stuck. If you look up the picture, he essentially looks like he's wearing the sewer cover as a fancy collar. Anyway, Macomb County Animal Control was completely baffled, so they called the Harrison Township Fire Department, and everyone put their brains together to figure out what to do. Now, I'm just imagining this moment where you have a whole bunch of people just baffled while this little guy is stuck there staring at them, you know? I know. Just his little face blinking yeah. is what I'm picturing. Just a little <laughs> face poking through like he's wearing one of those uh, don't chew on yourself uh, oh, cones. Yeah, 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 but it's a sewer cover. <laughs> so first they tried putting soap around the raccoon's neck, but that didn't work. Then they considered cutting into the cast iron cover, but they thought it would be too risky because they didn't want to chop up the raccoon, Caitlin. No, they didn't. We were trying all different kinds of options to not try and hurt it, but it was stuck in there really good, said veteran firefighter Lieutenant Brian Lorkowski. Finally, they asked a homeowner to bring some cooking oil, and they were able to pull out the body and free the animal at last without any injury. So somewhere there's an oily cat raccoon running around. You know? I'm so happy they didn't hurt him. Yeah. Because I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like raccoons are seen as kind of like a nuisance wildlife, and I feel like they easily could have made the decision to hurt him yeah. or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Just let him be. Uh, you know? Yeah. Because it's nature. Right. But yeah. So I'm glad they saved him. Now I feel like I want to adopt him and name him, you know, domesticate him myself. Yeah. <laughs> what would you name him? I would name him Queen Elizabeth um, because oh, she has fancy collars fancy too. Collar? Yeah. Oh, uh, good question. I yeah. don't know what I would name him. I've always wanted to name a raccoon or, well, really a dog or any pet waffles. Oh, yeah, that's a really good one. I don't yeah. know why. Waff Waff. I just, right? Exactly. I just feel like Waffles is a good name for a pet, and it's been in my mind for years, so I would name it Waffles. Well, everyone, 
there's your good news for this <laughs> week. And anyone who has an animal out there named Waffles, let us know because we'd love. Please send pictures. We'd love to see it. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. Let's take a little break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews, don't we, Caitlin? We love them. And, and we miss them. Yeah, we miss them. There haven't been a, there hasn't been a new one in a couple of weeks, so you know, it would make our whole day and our whole month. And we've been having quite a trying and challenging and busy month so oh, it would absolutely. really put a smile on our face just send us a little love note yeah <laughs> and it, will make us, it will make us smile we love reviews so much we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right at the end of the show so all you have to do is send them in and you can be part of our show with us but now it is time for our weekly interview i'm very excited about this one i think we figured out where we found Fink the other day. My friend Foster is in town, like I said. And I think she sent it to me, the Instagram that Fink runs. I think so, too. And I think then you sent it to me. Yeah. And I have gone on to send it to... Everyone. Yeah. One of our, one of our friends, um, a different Catherine, mm-hmm. also loves her. And, we, and her and I send each other back and forth her stuff. And yep. I think our friend John Olson, I think, like... yeah. All of our, we've gotten all of our friends really into uh, her art and her Instagram. Yeah. So, and, and it's funny when I look at her art Instagram and I see who's liked it, it we have so many mutual <laughs> likes now. And it's, yep. I think it's because yep. we've sort of spread it around. But uh, I'm so excited to talk to her. So let's not pause any further. Let's dive right in. Everybody, Liana Fink is a regular contributor to The New Yorker, The All, and Catapult. She is a recipient of a Fulbright Fellowship, a New York Foundation for the Arts Fellowship, and a Six Points Fellowship for Emerging Jewish Artists, which, hello, I feel like I need to apply for that. She has had artist residencies with McDowell Colony, Yaddo, the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council, and Tablet Magazine. Her first book, A Bintel Brief, was published in 2014. But most of all, she runs an Instagram account for her amazing cartoons and drawings that peers into everyone's soul. So, Liana, I just want to say welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, where are you now? How are you? And what are you doing? Um, on my couch, I was at my desk, which is in the area with the kitchen, but my husband is washing dishes and... So I escaped in here. So I'm sitting with my dog, Penny, with her head on my lap. Okay, you know, that's, <laughs> if you look at my notes, my next note is just the word dogs. And I feel like we both have a very strong affinity for dogs. Yeah. In one of your interviews, you talk about being able to run past a little dog park for inspiration. And can you tell us a little about your your dog companion? Yeah, she's a 
she's a pandemic dog. We adopt, we tried very hard to adopt her. It took a really long time because everyone was adopting dogs. We got her six months ago or so, and she does not like the city, but she's a really good sport, and she tries very hard to not be terrified all the time. I think she's mostly pit bull. Um, we gave her a DNA test, and that's what it says. She She's a real mutt. My dad's calling me to bless me for Shabbat. Oh, my God. Shabbat Shablam. Do you, do you have a dog? Is it rude to counter interview? Oh, no, it's not rude at all. We don't have a dog. I don't have a dog. Caitlin, my producer, doesn't have a dog. But oh. we have lots of dogs in our lives. And yeah. we document uh, dogs wherever we go. And yeah. I think Caitlin is in the stage in her life where she's trying. She's looking around into bringing a dog into her life right now. So it's scary because it's the city, right? But yeah. Yeah, it's different having a dog in the city from, from a different place. And it's also different from being a dog lover in the city from being a dog haver in the city. I still love dogs, but I can't love other dogs when I'm with my dog because she gets jealous. Oh my God. But I don't think most dogs do. I think it's just her. She gets like territorial if I pet someone else. Pits love their humans a lot. Yeah. They're very territorial. So what I was going to ask is, you know, I think your dog ties into this perfectly over the last year we have been through so much and your work is fairly solitary, but I know that you do like to work in coffee shops and sometimes as part of your creative process, you like to have people around. So I just wondered how your work as a, an artist and a cartoonist was impacted by everything shutting down over the last year. I'm still trying to figure it out. I think I have different like streams of of like way, ways of working. And I think the what I put on Instagram is more like outward facing. It's like how I deal very badly with people coming at me all the time. And I also work on, I always have a graphic novel project going or some other longer project. And that's like much quieter, more solitary work. So I found myself gravitating a lot more to that kind of work. And, and my personality changed too, because doing that kind of work, you don't, you don't like publicize it as you're doing it. You like work very quietly and then you go public like once every five years or so. So I, I was right. feeling more like my younger self, like the quiet self who, who doesn't have like a facade of being able to talk to strangers. And now it's over. It's all gone. I know. And it's so strange that we had to adjust ourselves completely and learn to embrace it. And then now we're having to be pulled off of it like a cat off the sofa cushions, just yanked away from something that we just learned to make for ourselves. Yes, that's the right metaphor. It's it's hard for me. Are you having trouble with it or liking going back to frantic? Well, it's it's kind of both. Like on one side, I'm celebrating so much because... I live and feed off of audiences as a performer. So yeah. that feedback is something I need. If I write a joke as a stand-up comedian, I need to take it immediately to an audience in order to know if it's funny or not. I need to know yeah. if it gets a laugh or not. And if it doesn't, then it dies and I move on to the next thing. Yeah. So there's that performer part of me that's so delighted. But you were talking about how there's a slower, quieter side of yourself that works on slower, quieter projects. And 
I found that emerging in myself too throughout the pandemic. I was working on um, big long-term projects, big long-term ideas that were just going to sit for like a year or so before they even went anywhere. And I miss being able yeah. to work on those because now I'm running around like a chicken with its head cut off. And uh, I, I, I miss that, that quiet side of myself that I found. Yeah. It sounds like there will be more and more pandemics, though. And that's very you to say, Liana, because you have you have the least optimistic outlook. <laughs> this is <laughs> the is... kind of thing I shouldn't say. This is the kind of thing that I say it because I think it's funny and true. I don't think it's good, but I say it as if it's good. But then I'm, if I get like a, a bit famous one day, someone's going to come through these horrible things I said and, and re, um, put them in front of the crowd and everyone will be angry at me. You know, as someone who's had that happen, I can tell you that it is the mm -hmm. least pleasant experience. But on the other hand, I will it. encourage, yeah, you definitely survive it. And also you- I've had, I've had minor ones of it and right. like more of this, I've, I've felt it more this year in the quiet. And I think, I think it's, I think this year has turned me a little more like sad and, and, and worried. And I'm hoping that that paranoia goes away. Do you feel like that change has come out more and more in your work? I am doing less on Instagram than I used to. I'm, when people don't get me, I'm taking that a lot harder than I used to, I think, or, or maybe people are, are doing it more. Um, mm. But I'm still busy, like I'm always busy with something. I think I'm, I'm more, more talented at shorter, meaner cartoons than at longer form stuff. But right. I've always like gravitated to harder things to do and things I'm less good at. So I'm hoping, like if this one thing becomes less of my life, then I'll get better at something else. But I don't know yet. It's really a, a time of change for me. I want to talk about this right now because I didn't write this down as a question, but I was, uh, you just made me think about it. I can't remember the exact cartoon and I'm cursing myself for it, but there was something about a cartoon about men that someone responded as an attack on men and it was kind of it was a very very like sweetly almost flirtatiously like negging cartoon about men right um, it was oh yeah it was like the the stages of being a girl and woman it, it started out like ew boys then it was like something very flattering like ooh guys and then it yeah. was uh uh men Yes, yes, yes. That's what it was. And it just kept getting taken down. I remember that. The uh, And it, it was so funny because like usually when we think of, you know, hate speech or something, we're talking about punching down when you are a cis white male that's talking about uh, a woman or a person of color. But usually when you're talking about people that are in power, it's... um like viewed as a, a critique of, of of power and i i thought that's i felt that it was like a really healthy critique um talking about the experiences that women end up having with men over their lives you know it's not yeah. a, it's not a turn on <laughs> over time it's not a cumulative turn on i think the last one is the only mean one i wonder if the bot or human who took offense felt that way too 
because like ooh ooh guys is a very nice one right and ew boys is i don't i don't think that's negative yeah i think it's uh common sense um yeah. i was gonna say I like so kill turtles do you right right yeah. Very that. I always, always I have this rule. I have this rule that if you hear a group of boys laughing, someone or something is in trouble. Yeah, I know. And uh, and I say that as someone who grew up as a boy. So I say it from experience. Were you one of them? I was never one of them. I was one of the kids that carried spiders out of the house in a jar. And, um, and, you know, I had many flaws. I wasn't uh, a perfect human being, but I definitely was not a a torturer um, or a, a bully. My flaws were uh, otherwise. So you're an ally to spiders. Some people would say that's a flaw. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they help. They help the other. They get rid of the other things that you don't like. So yeah, know. but if you like the other things, then you don't like the spiders. <laughs> that's true. Wow, this is complicated. I the, know. the the many legged battle, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say, do you feel like um, as a woman artist that you get a lot of critiquing and questioning of your voice when you're talking about uh, women's experiences? Because I think that cartoon was a situation where you were talking out of speaking out of a woman's experience and then you have kind of like a patriarchal presence silencing it. And I was wondering if you kind of butt up against that sometimes yeah I I think so and it's I take less offense at it which which is interesting like when I when I hit a real block that feels faceless like like I said before um oh it was probably just a bot like it's just like the weather so I don't even dwell on that I dwell more on like the people who are really on my team who are saying like oh you're you're like slightly less left than is possible. Like you're very, very left wing, but like a shade less left wing than me, for instance. And right. um, so I'm going to attack you. So that's what really, really hurts me because these are people I like and want to be on my side. Right. Um, and I spend all of my time dwelling on that. But then meanwhile, like my my career and my voice and my person hits actual blocks that are more powerful than bickering and and I'm just like oh that's so okay that's how it is I I think I understand what you mean I think that there are moments where you run into people that are your enemies that are full of hate and that's an easy situation to kind of wrap your mind around yeah but then there's infighting people that idealistically should just be your your ally and you end up infighting with them over small things and that's yeah. the much more confusing and you don't notice the bigger thing yeah because this is like a little puzzle that you can fiddle around with and be like i feel like i should be able to solve this one like and yeah. it's just very frustrating but you've been expressing yourself through art for a very long time and wanting to one of my favorite parts about this podcast is that we get to rewind a little and talk about uh, incredible women's lives from the very beginning. And I kind of want to rewind back to when you were 12 and your family started getting the New Yorker magazine. How did you know this? 
Uh, I just, I'm a deep diver. I just heard you talk about this in an interview and I just wanted to know what were the first sparks that let you know you were going to express yourself through visual arts and what were those first dreams like? I always, always drew. I was raised like in a kind of isolated like area without sidewalks or, or too many neighbors and my mom was an artist and she spent a lot of time with me and we drew together and yes yeah, so I always drew and I think I always knew I wanted to be an artist what I didn't know is what an artist was I didn't know that like doodling like dogs making jokes wasn't necessarily what would go in museums and so when I was 12 or so we we got the New Yorker for the first time and I think Saul Steinberg had just died he's one of my favorite yes. uh, cartoonists and so there was lots of his work being showcased because he had just died and I really fell in love with it and I also fell in love with the work of Raz Chest who's another kind of like Saul Steinberg kind of, like you could kind of call I mean you would definitely call her a cartoonist but she doesn't fit the exact mold of a for cartoonist, she's more of an indie cartoonist, like Linda Berry or Arkham or someone. So I just loved their work. And I don't think I quite realized that it was a slightly different branch from fine art. And mm. I, start, I started doing that kind of work. And when I was maybe 15, I had a friend who introduced me to like indie comics, like Dan Klaus. I still really love and 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 then it all went away when I started applying for art schools I realized that that wasn't the kind of work that would be accepted as art and I took a detour and was a fine artist for a while and I was really bad at it yeah my, I was gonna say my condolences being a fine artist is the hardest <laughs> I've seen it happen to people yeah yeah it's like yeah, you're like pretend it's like all about pretending that you believe in what you're doing and what other people are doing. Not that there isn't a lot to believe in, but it's so serious. I mean, I think that you get to make fun of yourself. Um, I see you loving that. Like even when you are sad, even when you are uh, miserable, like you get a little bit, you must get a little bit of satisfaction in some way out of making fun of yourself because you keep doing it. Yeah, so yeah, I don't think that yeah. that that doesn't always fit in with fine arts, being able to make fun of yourself. No, no. My husband's a fine artist. I make fun of him a lot. It's <laughs> confusing for him. So wait, one of the things that also inspired you is something that inspired me from a very young age. Tintin tin, tin, um, by George Remy. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, Tintin, as we call it, is this incredibly, I mean, controversial and outdated in many ways now, but oh, yeah. this incredible uh, adventure story of a young boy and his dog, and they go on adventures around the world and to, uh, and beyond the world and everything. And yeah. uh, I wanted to know how it inspired you and how it ended up becoming the focus of your Fulbright. Oh, man. So I don't know if the if I'm allowed to admit this, it was just a grant application. I wanted to go to Belgium and Belgians are very proud of Tintin. Oh, and absolutely. I loved Tintin as a kid. It's not, I really what I really wasn't particularly like wanting to model myself after 
Erche as an older person. Yeah, he's just so he's so neat and methodical in and in ways I'll never be. But I now now that I've gotten a bit more neat, I admire him even even more. And he has like he was very kind of repressed. He had a lot of repressed like self and that was what I learned about him when I was studying him in Belgium. He like, I, I was most interested by this episode where he had like a mental break breakdown that was, that came out in a, in a bunch of like all white nightmares that sound like there's some, they're from like an avant-garde movie. He, yeah, he was like, not very, not very open-minded, but I, but you could see a conscience like really, really, tugging at the edges of him and I think like I think he was he had he had a friend who was Chinese who like he had made he he was sometimes made racist comics but he stopped making specifically racist against Asian comics when um when he made a friend who was Chinese and and they had this long like beautiful and heartbreaking friendship where his friend disappeared for a really long time under Mao and then resurfaced as a street sweeper I think he had been a famous artist and I'm, yeah. I'm getting this all wrong I can't remember but like there were these like threads about him I didn't end up I spent all the, the nine months of the Fulbright writing about him and it never turned into an actual book but I feel like it's kind of like this forgotten world that lives in me and he's going to come out one day and demand something from me yeah I mean I think his world is almost a Disney adventure, probably compared to his life. But your art is, your cartoons are very raw, and they really show the mess of your life. So you're very opposite in that way. And I was wondering if you had people respond to you and say, oh my goodness, I feel so seen when I see your comics, because Honestly, that's how my circle of friends feels about what you do. So I wonder if you get that feedback, if you hear that above everything else. Yeah. Although I wonder if it's still in my work. I hope it is like the feeling. I still have really strong. I've always had really, well, not always. I think since puberty, I've had really strong feelings and it's nice to have an outlet for them. Now my strong feelings are more, maybe they're less universal. Like I'm, not on the dating scene anymore and have a dog that's kind of universal but I wouldn't write angry cartoons about her well you published uh an image just the other day that just yesterday at time of recording that just has you holding this card that says work up to a geyser that's labeled feelings and Yeah, I think that, you know, it's not about dating. Um, and it's, but I think, I think, especially after the pandemic, we all get that, you know, yeah. I think that you're still there in, and maybe the way that you feel has changed, but I think the way that we all feel has, has changed. Yeah, yeah. So, I think we're all like questioning our place in the world a little bit now that we're coming back into people. It's right. like, I think that cartoon was about hold, like holding on to the shreds of your what you used to think made your life important and like made you a good cog in the machine and like holding it up against the unknown. 
I am fully obligated to ask this as a person of Jewish descent. Um, do you feel that your Jewishness shaped some of your skepticism and pessimism in your work? Yeah, I don't know how, but it did. Part of it was just like having to hang out with Jewish people all the time. It made me really angry. <laughs> like I, I, I Googled you and I know that you are not a New York Jew, aka you're a really cool kind of Jew, but <laughs> New York Jews are, especially suburban New York Jews are like, they're okay. But if you have to go to school um, surrounded by them for 12 years, you get you have to develop a sense of humor. For me, my father is a New York Jew. And so I have a New York Jewish, had a New York Jewish grandmother. And she was always, she was this super dose of Jewishness that she would be like, Maxwell, it's your grandmother. You haven't called me all day today. And that that accent is not exaggerated. That's how she was. And she just, that generation is slowly disappearing. And they are the generation with all the stories that we need to keep alive. They are also the generation that told you you were fat when you did or (laughs) did not gain weight or said, of course, you're single, look at your acne, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a, the New York, the New York Jewish culture is a double-edged sword. First of all, it's a beacon to the world. And second of all, oh my God, (laughs) this is going to drive me crazy. I make fun of it because I love it. But yeah. like, I think I would never make fun of that grandma. That sounds like a fun grandma. Where did she live? Was she a Manhattan Jew? She spent most of her life in, or half of her life in New Lots. And then what, she... Oh, in the... Is that the Bronx? Deep, is deep Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, Brownsville. From the, right, right, right. So I think that all of us have a moment in our career where we sort of realize we're going in the right direction or we feel uh, like encouraged, we feel momentum. Was there a moment in your career where you're like, okay, I've put in all this work and here it is coming to fruition? Like a moment where you know, where you knew you were on the right path? Yeah, although I question, I still obvious, as you can see, I question it all the time. But I think when I was about 27 or 28, I had my first graphic novel published. Maybe even before it was published, I felt good when when a publisher bought it. And I started selling cartoons to the New Yorker. Maybe 27 was the year. I'm 35 now. I wasn't making a lot of money, but it was very clear that I was making enough to pay rent. Whereas before it was more, I remember finding a bracelet on the street once and being so relieved that I could pay rent that month. So it was like a step up from that. Right. And and it was just magical. Yeah. It's harder to like try to keep the, maintain that level of feeling comfortable than it, than it was to get to that level. Get, getting to that level was so that was such a good couple right. of years. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I started out with Drag Race, that first moment where I could pay rent, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most incredible feeling. It must go on forever. Yeah. Then, I know. <laughs> and then as we learned, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always, there's ups and downs and you never yeah. feel that real security. I think that's such an important lesson for our listeners, especially our young listeners, to hear. Um, 
I think oftentimes we associate insecurity with being in the wrong place, that Mm -hmm. if you're insecure, that you must be doing something wrong, that things aren't going well. And sometimes insecurity is just part of life. And yeah, exactly. Just faith your way through it, you know? Yeah. And I think people with like, like, quote, real jobs maybe don't feel it as much, but it's still, Mm. I think it's still there for them and they're hiding it. And, right. and it's good to admit how insecure it, it all is. And and also, I said, have faith on your way through it. But you also don't have to have faith. You can also just keep working. Because yeah. I, I didn't have faith through the pandemic at all. I was like, I'm definitely going to be yeah. toast tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. The whole time. I just kept working. And that's different yeah. from having faith. I just, you just keep going. You keep going. And you also, like, I think one of the best lessons that I learned was when my mom, she said a really mean thing to me and it was a really good thing to say when I was, I was living in Belgium. I had this grant after college and I'd gone to art school and everyone in my school, it was like kind of highbrow school. And we were all taught that we were a genius. And if we did, if we weren't a genius, then we were an utter failure kind of vibe. And so I went to, I felt like I had nine months to write the best book in the world and get published and get famous like that's what I thought was the trajectory and if I didn't then I was a huge failure and my mom said to me I was like complaining about how I wasn't able to work well enough or something and my mom said to me the world doesn't owe you anything and it was this huge weight off of my shoulders like I realized that I could be a barista and the world wouldn't end and it would be fine like I could I didn't have to make this book the world wasn't waiting for me to make this book and judge it and therefore the world wouldn't judge me if I didn't make this book right so I still feel that way I could still I don't think I could support my lifestyle as a barista anymore which is the scary thing about getting older and having a family but right my mom always used to tell me you're the piece of shit that the world revolves around and where you're so you're always criticizing yourself you're always saying that you're worth nothing you're always saying that you're insignificant and yet you're also telling yourself that the world is watching you know what I mean and so you got to choose one you got to choose like and then I think ultimately you have to realize where you fit in in the world and it's not it's not center stage like you think you're allowed to live a life that it's just uh that isn't being observed you know what I mean yeah so. and if you stop being revolved if you stop feeling revolved around you also stop feeling like the piece of shit yeah well, by the way my fallback is also barista um yeah I, I have an espresso machine and I like every time I make myself a cappuccino I'm like this is what it's gonna be after drag I'm gonna make people <laughs> smile with cappuccinos and then I'm gonna be fully happy in my in a studio apartment you know what I mean so you can steam milk I can steam milk. I can't make latte art yet, but I'm getting there. So I just remembered that I tried to be a barista in college and I got fired. So maybe I should find a different fallback. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm like, I'm leaning towards that as well, given how my latte art is going. But let me, let me, let us both have it as a dream. Maybe we've progressed, yeah. you know? I think my real dream would be waiter, but I don't, how do you even, I, I used to, want to try to get a waiter job and then I and now I don't think it's in my trajectory anymore but I think you need so much experience to get that job 
you need experience, you need balance, and you need memory and brain yeah. power. And those and are people skills. And people skills. And those yeah. are five things that I don't have. I could do memory like alone in a room, I think. Right. Yeah. I can do three items by myself, but uh, I yeah. can't do five items for five different tables. But yeah. Okay. Wait. Now, before I drift off into thinking about uh, your career as a waitress, I want to ask about th the real deal. What is something that you want to do next? What's a big dream that you have on your horizon? I, I just handed in a quiet project, which is a book. Not all my work is Jewish. I've had a couple of books in between, but it is mm -hmm. based on the book of Genesis, aka part of the uh, Bereshit, part of the Torah with the female God. And it's going to be called Let There Be Light. And it will be out in sometime in the winter after I have a baby, probably. And then I have yeah. to, I don't know how that's going to work. And so that's a graphic novel. I I don't know what I want out of life. I, I don't know. Yeah, I could put it into words. I can't get to the roots of it yet, but I want to be able to be more fluent in longer form storytelling. And I know that means, give, I think I'm trying to hold on to too much. I, I still have that like piece of shit the world revolves around point of view. But um, I don't know if I need to let go of like trying to make comics perfect because I don't think making comics is my natural form. It's like this amazing, really difficult puzzle for me. And I'm always very jealous of people who just write words or people who are and breeze through. Yeah. Yeah. And breeze so easy. I don't know. I don't, yeah. It might be, it might also, I'm jealous also of people who make graphic novels without all the boxes. That seems more quick. You don't need to obsess over drawing hair the same way six times on each page which that's what I'm bad at and not that it's easy to tell a story but I, I want to feel fluent and I want to feel engaged and I don't want to feel like I can listen to an audiobook the whole time I'm working which I do like I say it's harder it's just slower like it's a lot of busy work so I want to figure out a way to tell a story and and maybe I never will but but I also really like doing quick mean cartoons and I'd be happy to keep doing that and have that be my only thing. Um, I love that you say maybe I never will because I think for an artist or a performer, that's such an important thought. Like for me, when I started drag, I only was going to do it for a few specific events. And I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted to do, you know, great drag a couple of times and stop. And it was like al almost what I wanted. It was almost the right performance, but I was just going to do one more. I just wanted to do it perfectly the next time. And then 10 years passed and I just uh, filmed a comedy special. And I was like, God, you know, that was like 99% perfect. I just want to do one more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that that, a creator is a person that just never is happy and also hates looking back at their old yeah. work because they're always changing. So Yeah, I don't I don't really like looking at other people's work either if it's close to mine. It's like this like huge pool of self-consciousness that spreads 
so far that it's rudeness. When is, is your comedy special going to be, I bet I'll hear on a different part of this podcast when it's after it's taped, but will it be available to the public? We're hoping it's going to be available to the public. We found it and it's going to be shopped around, um, but we're going to do something with it. Damn it. Even if we put it on YouTube, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's. Did you do a lot of writing for the con? Like, how did you write the joke? Um, I talked to myself, first of all. Then I talk to an audience. I like walk around the street in my neighborhood muttering. And I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. Then I go and I say it on a stage. And if it gets a laugh, then I yeah. write it down on a note card. Yeah. And then I just took all of those so note cards it. and put them in order. And the script was what I presented to the people that were producing it. But the script is the last thing that happens. It all kind of squeezes mm-hmm. out of my brain um as as sounds first and then the the that yeah. sounds so like such an intuitive way of working yes she's a sound lady that sounds great and yeah. i know that you need an hour walk to a coffee shop and then an hour walk back and a train ride to the sea and a train ride back to yeah. <laughs> to do all of your processing. And that is exactly me. It's a lot of staring into yeah. the middle distance before something is created. Yeah. So I love the in-between part. Yep. There's so much less of that now for me. Yeah. I think because COVID like lowered my, um, my, threshold somehow so now I have like a cafe that's a five minute walk that I go to and it's so amazing to get to sit in a cafe I usually sit outside that that's all I like that's plenty I went to the ocean a few days ago and it was exhausting and I think maybe the cafe is enough well Liana thank you so much for joining us today um I wish you luck with your quiet projects and uh For everybody that's listening, um, we're going to share Liana's work so that you can follow her because you're you're going to want to. I'm so touched that you had me and it was so nice to talk to you. Thank you. Okay, Kraitlin, that was our interview for today. What did you think? I loved it. I feel such a like kinship with her. I feel like she's like really introspective with a lot of feelings and I relate to that so heavily and also just the feeling of like liking to watch people without having to interact with them, like at a cafe. Yeah. That's also kind of what I enjoy too. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. In one of her interviews, she said she liked to be invisible and just to watch. And I think that as much as I like, like when I'm in drag, I love to be visible. I love to show a part of myself that I have packaged and presented. Yeah. But when I'm just me, you know, I like to just be in the in the background. And I think we all have that introspective side and that's where like her cartoons speak to so many people you know I just feel like um I really understand the the big feelings you know she's like like, ever since I hit puberty I feel like I've had like more than the average person amount of feelings I'm like that's how I feel too and just all her art is so relatable and she's just great yeah I mean you and I chase each other around with feelings all the time you have to help me come down from mine I help me come down from yours oh it's so true talking each other off ledges like you know when you see uh like an old couple walking down the street like hitting each other with canes you know that's 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 us us. yeah Yeah, you know (laughs) anyway enough about that it's time to take a little break okay we're back 
Now, first of all, I want to say this one more again. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much. We want to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Now, we don't have any reviews this week, Caitlin. I know. It's making me very sad. So if you want, like, free engagement from us, this is free. You don't even need to buy a cameo, you know? If you want to hear what we think about your thoughts, then (laughs) just send in a review and we will respond and tell you that we love you because we will. But we could talk about reviews all day. However... It's time for the credits. This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! And I'll be with you. Oh, yeah, you can see that registered very nicely on the computer screen. Nice, loud voices. Uh.